And we're here with a very special NBA Playoffs edition of the Game Theory and Money podcast. I'm Cynthia Freeland, and I'm doing my very best Matt Moneysmith impersonation, and I'm not really doing a great job of it. However, we got a chance earlier this season to sit down with three of the remaining four teams, important members of each of these teams, so we thought we'd bring it to you as a very special May podcast. Let's start with Brad Stevens in the East, the coach of the Boston Celtics. It's pretty much, at this point, the Celtics and I mean Brad Stevens versus LeBron James he's getting almost as much buzz as LeBron James and for all you football fans he's going to tell us a little bit about what he learned from the Patriots and visiting with Bill Belichick take it away Thank you for your time. It's so awesome to be here yeah. with Larry Bird. I'm glad he joined us Pretty cool, huh? today. Yeah, yeah, his shoes are gigantic. Yeah. <laughs> so football fans can absolutely relate to matchups and kind of right. adjustments based on matchups. How, how do you look at that like before or in-game and make adjustments accordingly? Well, I think you know the strengths of your team, what the, each individual does well. And there are numbers for how guys guard, how much they foul, how do they do against shooters, how they do against drivers, how they do against posts how they do against rebounders, et cetera. But at the end of the day, a lot of times that's based on your eyes telling you what that matchup looks like. Sometimes you can have all the numbers in the world and it would make sense to avoid a matchup, but then you see it in person and you're like, that makes a lot more sense now to attack it. And so on both ends of the floor, you're looking for things in your prep to try to exploit, um, but understanding that um, those may get tweaked based on the game, based on how the game is going, based on what you're seeing. So every winning and successful coach that I've talked to you about this talks about that negotiation of what your gut's telling you right. and kind of a pragmatic approach. And something that, you know, football, you have 16 rolls of the dice to see what happens in each game. You sometimes get to play people back-to-back, and sometimes mm -hmm. you get a chance to, at least now, as we approach the end of the season, potentially strategically rest players or strategically, you know, do things differently in order to ensure a win or kind of maybe look to the next game or mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. How do you kind of... Like strategically, like just give us a little bit about like when you're playing a back-to-back, -back, how do yeah. you strategically adjust? Well, managing players' minutes over the course of the long season is real, and it's difficult. But the way that I go about it is I go into a game with our rotations written down on an Excel spreadsheet. And so I know what when guys will come out in an ideal sense. Sometimes you get thrown curveballs like injury, um, fouls, um, guys not playing as well, guys playing great, and you, and you ride a hot hand a little bit longer, especially when your second unit comes in and extends a lead, you might ride with those guys longer than you normally would or maybe that you had prepared to. Um, but it's all to play the best you can that night and in 82 games. That's, so it's a balance. It's yeah. a real balance, and it's tough because there's a lot of times where you, know, you want to put Kyrie back in the game with 11 minutes on the clock in the fourth quarter, even if he just came out a couple of minutes before that. But you know that over the course of the long haul, A, your second unit needs to play through some of this, um, and they need to show that they can. And then B, um, it is a long year. And, and I think you know Parcells used to say this, your job as a coach is to manage the season. So when you're managing the season, I want to talk about timeouts because coming out of timeouts, no team is better than the Celtics this season. How do you think about strategically when to call a timeout or what play you're going to run after a timeout? Well, the plays to run after a timeout are based mostly on 
prep prior to the game. So that's basically film work prior to the game. Now, occasionally you'll see something, a matchup that they've gone to, a way they're guarding an action that's new to what you've seen, and then you flip a play, or you make sure that you put that in the back of your mind for later on in that game. Um, I keep a sheet that I make that I write down that has eight to ten after timeout plays that we can go to at any time. Um, and so we and we and we do that. We we draw up something new almost every time, and the reason being is because we've seen on film how they've guarded and you know who we have in the game and where you want them coming from and which hand you want them going towards and and everything else. So there's a lot that goes into that, um, but. You know, we do ask our guys to do a lot of new things out of timeouts. So, in addition to the Excel spreadsheet, which I love that, that mm -hmm. makes me so happy, yeah. and the prep you do with film work, how do you use data insights? Like, I mean, I, I did a little research on you, and mm -hmm. looking back, it seems like even from Butler, you hired someone in a statistical capacity. I think his name is Drew Cannon. He's here. He's yeah. here. Yeah, he's here. He's, Get him. He's, in, he? he's in our analytics <laughs> department. Yeah, he, mm -hmm. he came with me from Butler. So, right. he was, I always joke, like, Drew is his as smart of a person as I've ever been around. He's mm -hmm. tremendous with our front office, and that's where a lot of his work is done now. Um, did he play but basketball? He did not. Right. He did not. But he started working with Dave Tellup, who was doing a scouting service, and Drew started writing for Dave, you know, occasionally, and his would always be based on what he sees from a number standpoint. Mm -hmm. As the um, Nike Basketball Youth League started tracking things more, getting more statistics, he would write down, or he would write his analysis based on that, and he was the only guy doing it. And so I did some research and found out that he was you know, occasionally writing for Dave, had a couple of things published in the New York Times for 100 bucks a pop or something, but was generally living with his parents. And so I called him and said, hey, why don't you hey, come you work come for me instead? Awesome right. instead right. And so he ended up um, coming and being really a graduate assistant for us um, and now has come here with me and he's taken on whole new roles. But he and his group, um, led by Mike Zarin, our assistant GM, mm -hmm. have done a great job of taking a mountain load of data, which the you NBA has the most, the right? Most. And so you just have so much data and you have to flip it in, in quick time because you know you're talking about a back-to-back -back. you know we play this week we play Detroit on uh, Friday we fly to New York we got to have a 30-minute meeting with our team on Saturday we're playing Saturday night what do we share in that 30 minutes it's got to be concise it's got to be well thought out it's got to be simplified and those guys do that for me so I have I go through a what I need mm -hmm. prior to the season before every game they create a packet of information that I get before every game and then the assistants and I break down only what is necessary um, to try to simplify the message heading into the game. And do the players, do they like this? Do they, like, does it resonate well, I don't, with I don't, them? You know, we'll use numbers um, in often, but, but we, we're not going to overwhelm them with stuff going into the game. Now, the personnel, yeah, personnel <laughs> I think is really important. Um, which direction they like to drive, which shoulder they like to go to, where they're scoring most of their points, how they are out of timeouts, who they go to out of timeouts, you know, all those things. Those are all things that you can share with them um, as you get ready for a game that they're used to. That's part of our routine. Mm -hmm. um, and then it may be, okay, what are their trends when they win? What are their trends when they've been successful? What have their trends been against us? And what do we really need to prepare for? Because you can't stop everything on some of these teams. Like against Golden State, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to 
you know, be there on every catch behind the three-point line with two people and take away their layups. And so you have to choose, and you have to show why you're choosing that. So when you're, when you're working with the players in real time on the court, do they ever tell you what they want to run, or how, do, how, sure. like how does that? Yeah, no, it's, that's constant. Yeah. That's constant dialogue, what they see. Um, football, it's a little less What they feel. And, well, and you know what else? <laughs> we don't have stoppages like football. Right. Ours is more of a random exactly. game. You've got to be able to be organized on the fly rather than play to play. Um, and I've spent a lot of time with the Patriots guys and, and spent a lot of time with the offensive guys. And, and um, it's funny because some of the stuff is pretty similar, you know, as far as we're all trying to create a little bit of traffic to get an edge mm-hmm. to ultimately, you know, um, complete a pass or get, an, get a lane to the rim. And so for us, there's a lot of similarities. Um, but, you know, we have to do it on the fly. And, right. and our guys have to be able to, you know, play with a clear mind, mm-hmm. which I think is a big part of this balance between, you know, if, if you're playing a simple game with a ton of thoughts going through your mind and you're playing consciously instead of unconsciously, I think you're in trouble. Interesting. So I want to get back to the Patriots thing in a minute mm-hmm. because we might have a little something for you on that. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, I read a lot about your creation of culture and how you view this. And to me, it's really interesting to see someone who is more innovative and kind of data focused and then also talking about culture because often you read, you know, it's like this gut, we've always done things this way, we're always going to do things this way, this is how this goes. And that's like culture, right? Mm-hmm. And then you see people who are more innovative kind of looking at, they don't often mesh. So how do you kind of bring those two things together? Well, I think you use numbers to motivate. Mm-hmm. You use numbers to game plan. Mm-hmm. You use numbers to figure out a plan of attack. And if everybody's not on the same page, that doesn't matter. <laughs> so like ultimately it's all about getting everybody on the same page, making sure you've got a great locker room, a locker room that pulls together. And then those things can help you gain an advantage in a certain game and help you get over the top. But if you're, you know, you're dysfunctional, you're not going to work together, you're not going to compete together, not going to play hard enough. Not going to play defense probably. Then defense, <laughs> offense, whatever, then you know, I can throw all the numbers at the wall that we want. And it's, that's, it's just not, it, you've got to have the culture part. It's a big part of it. So a theme that seems consistent from you was from Butler where not, you know, not Duke and not, you know, these big schools where you're getting the access to tons of recruits and, you know, they're choosing between Duke and UNC and right. Kentucky, right? You, you had so much success, reached two national championships back to back. And then I kind of see that same thing with the Celtics in terms of, you know, it's more of a team. Like you've had some interesting pieces last year. Last year's team is very different from this mm-hmm. year's team. How do you manage putting that teamwork together? Yeah, I mean, I think our front office has done a great job all the way throughout the years of creating a sense of purpose. I think the responsibility that comes with playing in Boston creates that, um, and I think that's real. Like, you, you're, when you're putting on a Celtics uniform, that's not normal. You know, you can look up in the rafters and see all the people whose numbers have been retired, and every one of them's won a championship. So that's a part of the um, culture. That's a part of the expectation. Everybody feels that responsibility, and I think that's a positive pressure. Um, that our young players all feel when they get here. You know, I think that certainly that can be looked at as a negative if you didn't have the right approach. Um, but if you have the right approach, who wouldn't want that? And, and I think that that's what our guys are, um, that's what our guys are motivated by mm-hmm. when they put that uniform on. It's really interesting. So I have this picture, mm-hmm. and it's a picture of you, and I'm curious, 
you see this picture here? Yeah. So that's good. This this is your this is your picture, and yeah. I'm curious. How much time are you spending with Bill Belichick? Because I'm thinking maybe you're <laughs> starting to like pretty good, huh? become yeah. him. <laughs> well, you know what? We, as much as I can. You know, I think that you spend a lot of time with um, people that you really think you can learn from. And mm -hmm. so I have, I have taken advantage of going over there on a number of occasions, whether it's sitting through OTAs or practices or meetings, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And um, I got to know Josh really well. Josh was kind of my conduit in there. And so I've watched him go through the court, you know, all the quarterback work and all the stuff that they do on the offensive side of the ball. And then to get a chance to spend time over there has been—it's been really helpful. You know, I think when you walk out of there, um, and I've said this before, you feel inadequate <laughs> as a coach That's because terrible. because you're like their culture, the way that they move from drill to drill, the the how how they pull together, how connected they are. Um, it's it's special, um, and, it, and it does not happen everywhere. And then when you leave and you bring it back here, kind of how do you think about, because look, there's, there are huge parallels. There's only 30 people who have your job. There's only 32 people who have Bill's job. Mm -hmm. How do you kind of navigate like taking the lessons there and then applying them to something that is so fluid? Yeah, well, it's so different, um, the yeah. game. But, right. you know, and, and the one thing that the Patriots have always been great about is they don't beat themselves. And, you know, they, they pride themselves on that. And I think that being that plus the idea of doing your job or the idea of everyone has a role to play and being a superstar in your role, those are all things that coaches are talking about all the time. They just do it better than everybody else. You know, and, and that's the bottom line, which means that it's a constant theme. It never ends. It's always talked about. It is, it is something that is always harped on, and it's, and it's a fabric of who they are, not just something that's on their wall. And I think that that, that stands out when you're over there and um, you know again I'm young in this thing of coaching um, but I was really fortunate because at Butler I inherited a team that would have won 30 games without me like it was just a special group we had five seniors they were all 23 years old it was as old as you know it was older than two of my starters now all of them and so they were a special special group and we just tried to stay the course, be the best that we could, get better every day, and let it take us where it took us. And, and when we were really good, that was the formula. And then when we got here and we had some ground to cover with regard to getting better, um, that still was the formula. It's not, it's, I don't think it's overly complicated. I think being able to stay in the moment and do it is the hard part. Absolutely. So my last kind of question here, I don't want to take up, I would take your whole day talking about all of it, but I don't want to take up your whole day. On a personal level, I want our viewers to hear something that when they're watching on the screen, and maybe they're more of a football fan, but they're watching on the screen, and what's one thing about the Celtics that they should know? Well, I think, and we've said this publicly, we've said it privately, we'll say it in our meeting today, we're at our very best when our guards are flying around and rebounding. So okay. when you see our guards fly in on the defensive glass, and bigs are blocking out and they're fighting for position and you see a guard swoop in above them and take the ball, that's when we're locked in. That's when we're engaged and that's when we've been really good. It's been a great sign. One of the small signs that you can really point to and say that's when the Celtics are playing well. When the guards are getting rebounds. When the guards are flying you, in and rebounding. flying in that's and right. rebounding. That's so. right. And you can, that may be hard to uh, like visualize right now. Nope but it'll be easy to see. It'll be easy to see. That's Thank right. you so much for You're your welcome. time, I really appreciate it. 
So now I'm going to do my job and get us into this next interview. The next interview we have is Daryl Morey. He's the GM of the Houston Rockets. He's best friends with James Harden, and he's also a Northwestern grad, which we love on this podcast. Daryl, what do you got? I'm here with one of the the conference's co-founders, but you may know him as the Houston Rockets GM, Daryl Morey. I know him as a fellow Northwestern alum, right? That's yeah, a good one. Absolutely. <laughs> and someone who I so really you, admire. So you were a math major? Well, I was. A, I got my MBA and then mm. I did the Master's of Predictive Analytics. So oh, it's cool. a lot of math, but not, cool. yeah, not like a math major per se. I did do finance, but ah, that's, that's math, that, right? That's, that's definitely math. <laughs> Econometrics too. Yeah. Your background really quick. You went to Stats Inc. Out, out of college and then you were a consultant. Yes. Consultants are confusing things to a lot of people, but ultimately you get to do lots of cool jobs in various places, right? And yes. that's how you ultimately made the connection with the Celtics. That's correct. And yeah. then what? Yeah, and then, uh, oh, after Celtics, so I was there four years, and uh, we actually were in the midst of our worst year when I got the opportunity to interview with the Rockets, and, uh, you know, I flew down at nine, and I had the job by three that afternoon, which is totally insane, and Chris Wallace, who's the GM of the Grizzlies, had the best line. He said, only in the NBA would uh, one of the worst teams have two GMs go run other teams uh, in the same offseason. So so that was 2007? Uh, six. 2006. Yeah. Got it. And then since then, how has the organization evolved in terms of analytics? Yeah, I mean, we've spent years sort of hiring people, honing, and, uh, you know. But not me. You never hired me. I should I have did, never did applied. Did you apply? No, I have never that applied. That would have made it hard for me to hire you. I know. We sometimes. do do outreach efforts, so I think we messed <laughs> up there that we didn't find you. Um, <laughs> so, but uh, there's still a chance. We, 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 you know, we're we're very diverse. I would say one of the areas where we are most challenged in diversity is on the gender perspective. We have a very talented scout, um, and we've tried really hard to hire a code, you know, someone on our tech side. And I see it as my own failure that we haven't hired that yet. So well, I can help you with that. Yeah. I know a lot of young people. They've Very all been good. introducing themselves Perfect. to me at this conference, right. which is great. And Very I actually good. really love that. Yes. Um, so our football fans, we used to talk about strategy. So on this pod, we're a little different because we use analytics so that when people are watching with their friends, they can, you know, when they're having a, an adult beverage together, they can be like, hey, did you know? blah and one of the things I think basketball fans would say if when they're watching a Rockets game it's about you know hey this Daryl Morey guy he there's this thing about like you know three-point attempts uh, mid-range shots are not great can you explain why well yeah that's worth more yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, smart yeah thanks you know Northwestern and all so Um, yeah no it it, it's really not that hard to so basically it turns out after about five feet from the hoop people don't shoot much different in terms of percentage of makes from five feet out to about 30 feet it drops but it's a very shallow drop so uh if you take a shallow drop and then all of a sudden make it worth 50 percent more at one point it makes sense to stay behind the line so it's See, not that that's perfect i love yeah. that you've also been credited with making just a ton of stats like become real things right so can you take us through that a little bit like true shooting percentage perhaps ah sure so i mean it's it's pretty simple it's just again maps to winning and what people see so what matters is how many points you score before the other person gets the ball and so of course 
uh, if you shoot a three, you don't need to make it as much as if you shoot a two. And if you get fouled and go to the line, you you know you get free throws for that. So true shooting percentage basically encompasses all that and says how many points do you make uh, before the other team gets the ball and puts it all on a on a two-point shot scale. So a true shooting percentage of 60% says that if you factor in threes, twos, and free throws, that you make six. It would be like if you shot a mid-range shot at a 60% rate. So. See, that's perfect. Thank you. Yeah, it's like, talk like, data to me is our oh, theme. It's a great hashtag. I know. I Maybe know. Maybe the best I, hashtag I've seen. I know. Our, I cannot take credit. Our MIT, the amazing students who run this. No, they, whoever came up with that one, they need to go to a marketing firm and be I like, know, I, that's me. That's me. I did that. <laughs> exactly. I did that. Yes. Um, it's so edgy. You know, it's, it's very it's edgy. It's like borderline, but like hilarious. Yes, I exactly. love it. Um, so when we talk about, I've read a number of places where you talk about the NBA playoffs and being one and done as opposed to series where you have, you know, five or seven games to determine the outcome. NFL people, we know all about one and done because that's all we got. How can you explain, you know, your theory on that for the NBA? The NBA should be one and done. (laughs) It's much better. Do you think there should be fewer games in the season overall? Yes, uh, absolutely. (laughs) What's the optimal number? I don't know if there's an optimal number. There clearly isn't. Um, but uh, I, I, I would like, um, for me, I would do like uh, the Premier League and and play every team twice, so 58 games. That's what I would. That's what I would do. And we would make. Everyone says, "Oh, you make less money." No, if we'd make more money with more games, we'd play 250 games. We you don't. <laughs> yeah, um, I would. We would make more money because the TV ratings would be higher. You know, no one's saying, "Oh, the, the you know what the NFL needs? They need 32 games to make more money." So, all the arguments on why fewer games makes less money to me are ridiculous. So, you've got this one player; he's pretty good. Yes, you know, probably. Well, you've got two, well, two that are really good, but this one that I'm particularly okay. talking about, the beard, and everything. that's the one I'm yeah, talking he's about. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So, when you're gonna evaluate James Harden, mm-hmm. what do you, what would I look at, like as an outsider? Let's say I'm a football he evalu- fan. He evaluates he evaluates me, so oh, <laughs> I don't really he? evaluate. Him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, he's so good. When when you're that good, I mean, he's a Hall of Fame level player. Absolutely. Um, it's really more about how do we help him and how how I do my job I, we're mostly just happy he continues to like our team so so how do you help him uh all the yeah that's literally all I think about so what are the right <laughs> role players um uh obviously uh, getting Chris Paul here he was so excited he, he was more excited than me which was amazing you know if you think about it I hopefully will have a, a very long career I've been fortunate enough to last as long as I have 15 years um but you know Players only get a short; they get a much shorter window. So, um, get you know, he knew that adding Chris was going to give him his best shot in his career, and he was very excited about that. As was I, but it, he was one level higher than me. And this is this is a we're we're doing this on the fly here. So I'm okay. curious if you had an NFL comp to James Harden, like if you were going to say who is he in the NFL in terms of you can do it like importance sure. to team or something like yeah. that. Aaron Rodgers. Oh well, there we go. Yeah, I so, like that. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people. I mean, because like I mean, if, 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 if you ask volume, no, but if yeah, and if you ask most fans who the greatest quarterback is, they'll answer someone not Aaron Rodgers, even though you can argue for Aaron. Or it might be someone in this town. They'll argue possible. for maybe the guy in this town. Yep. Um, and so that's true in our sport too. If you ask most fans, they're going to name a player on a different team that I'm not supposed to name. <laughs> um, but you know. Right there, and I, and Green Bay Packers fans would say Aaron Rodgers is the best, Absolutely. right? 
and they'd have very good arguments, and it's very similar here. We're, you know, our guy has got the highest odds to get the MVP this year. We believe he's the best player in the league. Uh, so it's very and, – and to your point, Aaron's, uh, uh, yeah, passes a lot. Their mm-hmm. offense is very pass-oriented, uh, as is James. Uh, so I, I think it's – I think it actually works really well, and uh, I was born in Wisconsin, so it's so it's it all even fits. better. Yeah, more Midwesterner. See, we have more connections ah, here from Michigan. Oh, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So yesterday we got a chance to. You're see. You're a tourist lo- location for us in Ohio. Yeah. You would advertise. Tourist. Come see the amazing. They, we Michigan. still do pure Michigan. It's like this big campaign. <laughs> yeah. Northern Michigan's nice. Like until you get, get past, to Detroit. Yeah. Stay yeah. away from there. <laughs> stay away from there. So. <laughs> Unless you're playing in basketball, you guys are fine against them in basketball. Yes, we, but they beat us this year. But, eh, you'll. Yeah. Once. One of our losses. Thank you so much for your time. Really Thanks appreciate it. So yeah. glad to be here. Amazing conference. You did such a great job. I'm not sure anybody's going to be able to top a comp to Aaron Rodgers. And by the way, he did that all on the fly. I gave him no prep for that. I'm so mean, aren't I? Anyways, it worked out. Next up, we have Kirk Lakeup, the assistant GM of the Golden State Warriors. Kirk has a lot of rings, and he was wearing all of them when we did this interview. And it really kind of made his uh, whole basketball story and how he plays basketball on Alcatraz a little bit more interesting. Here we go, Kirk. I feel very, very lucky to be sitting here at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference with my friend and also the assistant GM of the Golden State Warriors, Kirk Lakeup. Thank you so much for the time. How are you? I'm good. Thanks Thanks for bringing me. And I think I still have a little bit of energy left. I. It is exhausting here. It's it's very exhausting. I landed at about 445 this morning. So you, so, so you went with the red-eye option. I not... It was my. It was it was an accident. Um, it was of my own doing. I forgot I had something else I had to do last night, so I had to go to our game and then leave early and take a red eye. Listen, it's it goes without saying how successful your team is. What is the role of analytics in your organization? It's um, this is actually a, a perfect time to talk about it. We were having a major issue um, in the first quarter games. Now the same lineup was in the third quarters too, and it was doing great in third quarters. Really, really horrible in the first five minutes of the first quarter. So over the All-Star break, Steve Kerr sat down with Sammy Gelfand, our manager of basketball analytics, who works for me, and he said, Sammy, we've got to figure this out. What's going on? And, and a stat that Steve actually talked about in his pregame con- press conference was that in the first five minutes of games last year, our defensive rating was about 100. Okay. The first five minutes of games this year, 115. Okay, so really quick, because we have primarily NFL listening audience mm-hmm. on this pod, but they do love numbers. So you want the lower number. That's one, yes, right. defense so less. Defense exactly. less, offense more. So when you talk about offensive efficiency, you want that number to be high. And when you talk about defensive efficiency, you want that number exactly. to be low. So if you go up 15, that is a bad thing. That is a bad that 100 to 115 is a large percentage jump. Um, it's it's really bad. And I think for to, to give us a little bit of a of an understanding, like, we were in the top three, I believe, in the league last year in defense, and for an entire game, we averaged about 100. So to be at 115 is, is really bad. Um, and, and Steve cited this as we were going into the game, started JaVale McGee, and we got off to a good start for once. Um, and then luckily the, the team kept rolling. We were able to win the game. But um, I think that's, that's a small example and a very, very recent example of how we're trying to use analytics to, to better ourselves. The thing that's interesting to me about your team is the fact that not only do you have these, so 
efficiency in basketball, basically just what we talked about. Offense high, defense low. You play at a fast pace. Pace in basketball, pace in football is so different. Pace in basketball makes a huge difference. How many possessions during a game a team averages, a high possession, high pace game. That's You guys are always in the near the top of the league. But you're also really efficient. So typically, math-wise, if you have a, a fast pace, your efficiency goes down. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of maintain thinking about, like, play at a fast pace and be super efficient? Yeah, typically there there's a curve, and once you hit a certain pace, you kind of level out the possible efficiency you can have. Um, that, that was the standard thought until about four years ago. Um, when what happened? Oh, yeah, you guys started winning like, and, all and the championships. And then we started playing. Them. Yeah, and Steve, Steve came in as the coach, and he said, we're going to play fast, we're going to play fun. Um, and I think what happened is, is people didn't realize when we played that fast, we could get incredible. We couldn't just take bad shots and play. We could get even better shots. Um, you know, when I was playing basketball in high school, it was always, let's, we can get that shot anytime. Let's swing in and get to the next option. Well, when you have Steph Curry, you have Clay Thompson, a wide open three at any point is the best shot you're going to get. So <laughs> if it happens really early, that's fantastic. And the more of those you get, the better you are over the long term. So, um, yeah, we've, we've kind of reset the, the efficiency uh, curve there, and it's, it's really fun to watch. Obviously, that's not necessarily the right way for everybody to play. It depends on personnel and the way you want to set things up. And I think teams tend to try to copy whoever is doing well. Um, but recently we've seen teams who finally figure out that be the best version of yourself. Right. And, and that's how you can be. Don't try to copy somebody else. You won't be able to best them at their own game. So to take one step back again, just to kind of give the terms to our fo- more football-focused mm-hmm. audience, we, when you talk about small ball, right? Mm-hmm. That was kind of the trend. And when you talk about people copying a trend, small ball is, is probably what you're talking about. So can you just explain to us what that means? Yeah, it's, it's actually a funny term. It um, is a funny term. <laughs> because small ball, you would think it means all the players are really small. And, and the reason that you probably think is because you're playing with a lot of players who can pass and dribble and shoot from deep. Um, we really just kind of reverse the roles of a lot of our players. Um, we, we, instead of playing inside out and kicking out, we played outside in. I, in some ways, I've always thought it was similar to like when the West Coast offense mm-hmm. came about mm-hmm. in, in the 80s. Um, or if you see more of this aerial attack yep. today, um, it's about spreading people out. Yes, it's and about it's space. About space, and not just horizontal space sometimes, but vertical space. Um, that, that actually is a term that I know has always been popular in football. Vertical spacing became a hot topic in basketball a couple of years ago. Um, the ability to throw the ball over the top of the defense instead of having to throw a bounce pass down or create a back cut. Um, the ability to throw over the top and, and really have people come out to you at the three-point line has, has changed the three-dimensional spacing of the game. I once had a TV person tell me that one of the ways to think about small ball is like the numbers. So like your point guard's a lower number, a one and two. You just have more people playing a lower number position, right? right? Instead of fives and fours, you're like oh, a lot of threes and like some twos and th- you know, mm-hmm. keep it. So that's kind of one way I think of it too. When you're looking at a player like Steph Curry or someone who didn't go to maybe, you know, the most prime university in terms of basketball prowess, not a Kentucky guy or whatever, you know, you're, you're looking at that. How can you evaluate the fit? You just, I mean, obviously you can't tell us all the secret sauce, but you know, just one way to evaluate that maybe could resonate with an NFL fan. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of friends in the NFL. Um, I was actually at the NFL combine, I think it was last year, two years ago, and, and was able to speak uh, with, with some other people on a panel and really enjoyed getting to know a lot of people in the NFL. And what I found, there's a lot of things you can pull cross-sport. Now, there's never going to be a perfect no. example, but I think there's a lot you can pull cross-sport. To me, and, and Bob Myers, our GM, um, he and I have talked about this a lot. We feel that there are kind of two skills, and we really believe these are skills, that are often thought to be intangibles um, and that they are hard to measure. And to us, those are IQ and competitiveness. 
I'd be willing to bet people in NFL front offices feel the same way. Oh, 100%. Um, I look at, you know, the Patriots have had an incredible run, very similar to the Spurs in basketball. They've been so good for so long, and, and obviously you have a star to build around. Um, basketball is such a star-driven sport because mm-hmm. you have to play offense and defense, and it's dynamically constantly moving. There's only five on the court. One star matters so much. In football, you know, most players can't impact every single play. I've always felt that the two positions that impact the game most are your quarterback and your head coach everybody else has to fit a perfect role so that that does mimic nba role players to an extent but i I read an article recently about how the patriots have done so well drafting these role players because they're highly competitive and they have a very high iq they don't necessarily hit them and when you're not getting the top pick every year or you don't have all the free agency money something you know about yeah, you you have to. <laughs> well, not the money part, but the, not the, the money. you know about yeah. the money part, but you don't know about the top. You're very familiar with not having a top. Hit. Yeah, you you have to find people who fit roles. Um, mm-hmm. And and again, the two skills that just seem to be not not focused on our IQ and competitiveness. And there are ways to quantify that. I believe mm-hmm. I've Absolutely. always felt that there are ways to quantify that. So, do you are you a Patriots fan then, or do you have an affinity for any NFL oh, team? No, no, I'm a Niners fan. Okay, just to be just clear, and, sure. and I'll and I'll occasionally root for the Raiders too. But I'm I'm a Niners fan. I grew up in the Bay Area. Were you happy about the Jimmy Garoppolo acquisition? Couldn't be more excited. I've been hitting up my friends at the Niners. Um, I, I spoke with John Lynch. Um, I've spoken with Jed York. Really, really excited about this. I mean, look, I'm an I'm an NBA guy who loves the NFL. I'm not right. a full fledged NFL guy, but in my opinion absolute like grand slam i'm we're, very excited we're in the business of predicting things here so do i get your early prediction for perhaps you know conference or division winner let's go I'm, division i i think they're gonna go 10 and 6 and make the playoffs i love that hey i actually heard something really interesting about you and I'm, I'm i'm curious about this do you um play basketball with inmates i do that's awesome. Yeah. Can you tell us anything about this? This is sure. this sounds amazing. Sure. Um, starting about seven years ago, I got invited to play a basketball game on the weekend at San Quentin State Penitentiary. The um, I believe it's the the only um, the the highest level uh, prison left in California, um, and it's probably in the most beautiful part of all California too. It sits right on the water facing San Francisco. But I, I got invited to play, and I fell in love with it. Um, I probably play seven times a summer and a year into it, I thought it'd be really fun to take some of the Warriors management. Um, and Bob Myers came, Mark Jackson was our coach at the time. He came, a bunch of our staff members, a couple of our players came. They didn't play in the game, just to be clear. They kind of <laughs> rooted us on or coached us. Right. Um, role reversal. Yeah. Did they draft you? What did you, were you drafted in an order? Uh, no, no, no. We, we came in as a group. It was, <laughs> it. it was okay. us versus okay. the inmates. And, um, yeah. Who won? Uh, we have won. I think we're five and two or okay. four and two. Um, we we won the majority. They won this last year um, on a, on a late game. I think it was like a, a bucket with five seconds to That's go, awesome. something like that. Um, I I really really enjoy it. You're out on the blacktop, and there's usually 500 people screaming on the yard. So and, fun. You know, kind of messing with you. Um, there's a guy who stands underneath the hoop and specifically goes after me every time. Uh, Perfect. Which is, I I don't know. I love it. It's it's a great. It's great because it makes you realize that when you're on the playing field or on your court, everybody's the same. Absolutely. These, these guys are you know, in prison, some of them for a very long time, and, and we're living this amazing 
life where we're with the Warriors and we're winning championships and you step on the court and you're all the same. And, and I really, I love that part of it. No, that's, I, that's an incredible story. And I, I'm so, thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah. I have one more. So we were fortunate enough to visit with Brad Stevens and we asked him if there was one thing when fans are watching that they could be connected with the Celtics about. And he gave us something about like if their you know, ones and twos are getting rebounds and that's when the Celtics are playing their best. Is there something that's kind of, we can crystallize as fans that obviously the Warriors are really good. So there's a lot of things that we could speak to for success but is there one thing when you're like in the zone and clicking that we can look to as fans and be like the Warriors are just on so first of all I need to say I absolutely I love Brad Stevens he's awesome I think he's the coolest cool I'm I'm a fanboy in a sense because I was college basketball when he was a coach and uh, I've gotten to know him decently well and I I whatever he says is is right Um, (laughs) you know with respect to us I I think we have an, an interesting team we when our defense really gets going, you can tell the difference in intensity of the way the players move, and that kicks our offense into overdrive. Mm-hmm. The funny part about it is, is as we've gotten better and we've, we've won over time, this sort of weird switch has happened where our offense actually feeds our defense, which feeds our offense. Awesome. Um, so what you'll see is when you know we're really playing well is when our, our defensive activity level really picks up and the, the switching, you'll see Draymond shove Clay Thompson into space and you'll see Steph, you know, right in there battling up against a 6'8 guy. And that's when you know we're about to go on a, on a big kind of our patented runs where we'll, you know, hit four threes in two minutes. And your assists go up too. I don't know if you yeah. noticed that. When your assists yeah. go up, that's like extra It means extra we're, offensive we're taking efficiency. that first good shot. It's off a pass. Usually mm-hmm. it's the first good shot. We're pushing ahead and we're, we're taking it and making it. I cannot thank you enough for joining yeah. us. Really appreciate it. And, you know, I'm going to make a prediction that I will not be able to speak to you again until, you know, June, and there'll be another set of hardware for you. So that that's my great. prediction. That would, that would be fantastic. <laughs> Good luck. Good Thanks. luck. So now you have something to look for for each team so you know when they're playing their best. And you know what? You got it on a football podcast. You got it on a football podcast that's really also about math. So I think that makes it extra cool because who listens to that? Pretty much everyone is the answer that I've been told. Anyways, for Matt Money Smith and me, thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon. 